Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, episode number two. I am your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I have the great privilege of sharing the air with His Excellency, Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, thanks for joining us, and thanks for being back on the program. Hello. Yes, thank you. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, and alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church, NovusOrdoWatch.org. Also, if you visit TrueRestoration.org, you will find a link to Trad Circle, the social network founded in 2008 by Father Chicada and moderated by True Restoration staff. One of its original purposes was to enable young people who feel called to marriage to meet like-minded types, but it is also a great and safe place to make new friends and have discussions. People of all ages are welcome. Well, Your Excellency and Father, it's been 30 days since we were last on the air, and the title of tonight's program is The, uh, the Revolution Speeds Up. And uh, there's been so much that's come out just in 30 days. I mean, if this, you know, we've been moving at a breakneck pace here. If it goes any faster, the neck will actually be broken, I'm afraid. It's, um, things, there's just so much information. But kind of a point of reflection here, it's been about a year uh, this month since Benedict XVI announced his resignation, and we're now 11 months into the reign, quote-unquote, of Bergoglio. So we've seen over the last... 11 months or so, we've seen a tremendous amount of shocking words and surprising statements and deeds coming out of, of Bergoglio's Rome. Just maybe a couple of minutes here on some reflections on this. Yes, well, um, it's uh, actually so much, it's very, very hard to keep up with it. Um, I, uh, you know, review the news stories every day uh, uh, in the morning, and it, it always seems that uh, there's, there's something going on that is either shocking, some statement that's shocking, some action that uh, Bergoglio has performed that's uh, shocking and surprising, or something that... Um, uh, undermines, uh, in to a, la- a, a greater or lesser degree, some uh, principle of uh, the Catholic faith or some doctrine. And it is um, so many of the things seem to be so obvious, and we'll be talking about many of them tonight. That um, uh, one wonders why more people aren't um, uh, latching onto these things. But uh, I do get the feeling that uh, there are some who really are starting to ask questions about what's going on, and that's what we're here for. I think that we're uh, just seeing a modernist uh, uh, sort of in uh, all of his nakedness. Uh, Up to now, modernism has been somewhat hidden. I mean, even Paul VI, John Paul II... Ratzinger, they yes, they did horrid things, and, and especially John Paul II, but they still held back on a lot of things. Uh, they they knew their limits, uh, especially Ratzinger uh, uh, gave a lot of trappings of tradition and gave all of those Novus Ordo conservatives a lot of hope. But here we see a true Vatican II modernist, uh, and 
you know, yes, it's shocking, but it's not shocking if you compare what he's saying and doing to their principles. It's completely in accordance. Yes, we'll see. I guess the question I have here is, you know, we're, we're sort of highlighting the process of change having been accelerated here in 11 months, as you say, comparing to the previous, uh, the previous claimants here. My question is, is where is all this going long term? I mean, what, what is it that we're going to see long term from a person like Bergoglio? You're going to see a complete transformation of Catholicism far beyond what was done by the by Paul VI, John Paul II, and Ratzinger. Far beyond that, uh, a, a complete radicalization uh, uh, of of everything that has been considered Catholic, and uh, a, a completely different religion that has no possible way of being considered continuity. That's where it's going. Um, the uh, professor DiMattei hinted at that when uh, he said, you know, if we take the what the German bishops are, are saying seriously, uh, we're going toward heresy and schism. I mean, this is this is a whole new world. Uh, so we're we're just seeing a, a definitive radical break uh, in over the next ten years, probably, of this supposed papacy. Uh, and who knows what's coming after him. After him, you have more Vatican II people. You have people trained after Vatican II. The, the people that, that at least have some background in the Catholic religion in their youth will be gone. And so uh, you're just seeing a, a, a sort of a brave new world of, of religion with these people. And they're able to accomplish it so quickly because of, the, um, because of modern communications. Uh, that um, the uh, media coverage, the way that one can get uh, uh, different statements out, uh, the visibility of uh, Bergoglio, the example that, uh, that he is giving, uh, already this is uh, uh, transforming things. One of the things that the liturgists, uh, the liberal progressive liturgists are rejoicing at is that uh, the whole change in uh, what they call his liturgical style, that we're back to the Vatican II style now. Uh, this is um, seen as an ideal. It's supposed to be something that's uh, acceptable. And this uh, is not something that, you know, uh, trickles down rather slowly, but it's instantaneous because of the modern media. They can see uh, the kind of liturgical celebrations that he engages in, and they can see see what he uh, does on the cable or on the Vatican's um, uh, Vatican's website, the the video part of Vatican's website. So the change that he changes that he introduces liturgically uh, catch on everywhere, and you multiply that by all the different things that uh, he's uh, been doing and will be able to do, and you will see this this uh, radical transformation that His Excellency is speaking about. Here, right here at the top of the stack of our news here, Your Excellency and Father, we have, we have some major watersheds this week. We have the uh, meetings of the C8 Reform Council of Cardinals, which you know, I have to snicker at about you know, we're calling these things you know, letters and numbers now. We can't say this group of people met. We have to say the C8 met here. We have the, the C8 Reform Council of Cardinals, like we have the G20 and the G8 and this summit and that summit. And it kind of reminded are, me of canine. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, 
I can't, you know, I can't imagine you know, our Lord saying, well, you know, the, the A12 met in this room today. Here, so it's, <laughs> I don't, anyway, uh, so they're going to meet and discuss practical long-term policies, and they're going to be agenda setting for this upcoming synod, which is, for those who don't know, is a gathering of bishops to take place later this year. Um, what do you think their policies, their, their long-term policies, or short-term policies for that matter, and their agenda is going to be? I think collegiality will be a major issue, uh, transferring power to uh, the conferences of bishops, giving them, as Bergoglio said, uh, doctrinal power, uh, decentralization, reducing the papacy to essentially a, one of primacy, and a certain overseeing uh, where uh, he would intervene in, in the special cases, but essentially the bishops uh, run the church and 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 he minds his own business. That that's a, a model that they're going for. I think you're going to see because it's family. The subject is family. I think you're going to see uh, uh, a lot of uh, liberalization of uh, family issues, such as the uh, communion for divorce and remarriage. And they're, they're throwing out so many hints about a reform uh, for th- those who are divorced and remarried that, uh, uh, that uh, I just see it as coming. I would be very shocked if something didn't come. I, I think they're going to give Holy Communion to uh, divorced and remarried people. That means adulterers uh, approach the communion rail in a state of mortal sin and publicly, and, and this will be approved. I think uh, that's what's coming down. Among other things, um, they're uh, perhaps uh, blessings for sodomitic couples. Uh, that that's possible. It's, although I saw the Church of England refuse to do that, which really surprised me. But hmm. uh, uh, the uh, they're they're certainly capable of these things. You know, whether they will do them, I don't know. But they're certainly capable. There's nothing really to stop them. And also a change in the whole uh, this. Uh, business of pastoral, everything's pastoral, pastoral. Pastoral means for them an excuse to ignore doctrine or moral teaching. That, that when you have a, a pastoral approach, it means that you you abandon all the rules and you do something that makes people feel good. Uh, that I think you're going to see a lot of things like that. Well, Father, we also have this uh, the consistory of the Cardinals coming up, and uh, certainly some major news will emerge from that, don't you suspect? Uh, yes, and uh, I, uh, what will come from that is I think that um, Bergoglio will uh, announce uh, or make more clear some of the points in his general program, and I think that they will be related to what Bishop Sanborn said uh, now about uh, the questions of, of uh, uh, marriage and the family and the questions of devolving in, uh, the uh, power of the papacy to a local level. Remember that these were the themes that Bergoglio, in effect, had um, pushed and publicized from the beginning. And in some of the early uh, commentaries, um, we... Uh, picked up on them, and we said uh, on these themes, and we said that we suspected that this is what he was going to do. So uh, we'll see, especially in the next day or two, um, when he gives his his speech to the cardinals of the consistory, what his um, uh, uh, how prominently these things will figure, and I'm uh, betting that they will figure very prominently indeed. Okay. 
Well, so let's go ahead and start off here. This is uh, the news starting from the last time that we were on the air, which uh, begins here on January the 23rd. I'd like to remind our listeners that if you'd like to call in and be a part of the program this evening, we will be taking some calls in the second hour of the program. That, that number is 949-272-9417. That's 949-272-9417. Okay, uh, Your Excellency and Father, so we start off with the, with the title here of Catholic Faith, Doctrine, and Dogma, and, and we started the last show off of that as well. And on the 23rd, we have a, a Vatican Radio uh, story here on the message from Francis on World Communications Day. And he has a very interesting uh, take on what dialogue means. And he says this, quote, to dialogue means to believe that the other, quote-unquote the other, has something worthwhile to say and to entertain his or her point of view and perspective. Engaging in dialogue does not mean renouncing our own ideas or traditions, but the claim that they are alone valid or absolute, unquote. Your Excellency, what does this mean? Uh, it, it, well, first of all, you have something valuable to say only if it is true. If what you say is false, it's worth garbage. It, it, it is abs something absolutely unacceptable. It's, uh, so to say, you know, it, it, is it true or false? That if you're saying something true, then it's worthwhile. If it isn't true, then it's false. Then, so that's the first thing. Secondly, to, although he doesn't come out and say it, if he means dialoguing with non-Catholics, to, to say that your own ideas are not valid or absolute is to say that the Catholic faith is not the only one that's valid or absolute. That is to deny the faith. The faith by its very nature is absolute. It, it is the supreme knowledge concerning the things of God revealed by God we believe our Catholic dogmas based on the authority of God revealing and on the promulgation of these doctrines by an infallible church assisted by Christ. Now, all of that adds up to absolute. There is no possible way that we can deny or doubt or in any way call into question these doctrines that come to us in such a way. So how do we dialogue with somebody? The only reason that we would talk to somebody that is not Catholic about religion is to convert him, to point out to him that his religion is false and that the Catholic religion is true. And that has been the age-old stance of the Catholic Church. Uh, but this is, you know, this goes back to Vatican II, that non-Catholic religions are means of salvation. So therefore, they have value in the order of salvation, therefore our our ideas are not absolute. So it, it really, at bottom, is a denial of the Catholic faith. The other uh, interesting thing about the statement is uh, he's, he says, engaging in dialogue does not mean renouncing our own ideas and traditions. Okay, this is the sop thrown to the conservatives, but the claim that they alone are valid or absolute. Now, what's going on there is, uh, by the latter... Uh, the, the claim that um, our own ideas and, and traditions alone are uh, valid and absolute. If we renounce that, then you renounce the ideas and the traditions. Absolutely. So, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, but it's it's the uh, uh, it's the typical modernist double talk. 
And that's what you see uh, operating here. Of course, it means exactly uh, renouncing our own ideas and traditions. Yes, and we could also turn the the uh, criticism of skepticism against this because when he says we cannot claim that they alone are valid or absolute, he is setting down an absolute. <laughs> of course. <laughs> See, so it turns right around on him. You know, God help you if you ha- if you believe something absolute. Uh, there's no you know he bangs his fist. There's no such thing as an absolute truth. <laughs> And it, it is the classic criticism of skepticism. This is essentially religious skepticism. Yes. So this is nothing really new. I mean, we've been hearing about dialogue now since the since the '60s and the '70s, and and this is just uh, a this is kind of a, it's a logical conclusion here with him. It, it's another word that he has gotten out of his 1960s theological dictionary. Uh, Father Chicago again will will remember it. dialogue. You know that was the the key word in the seminary. You have to dialogue, and that's a replacement for faith. You dialogue. All of these words that, that he's pulling out are, are straight from the 60s. It's it's like the little red book of Mao Zedong. You know the it, it's straight out of it. And he has not he has not evolved since 1969. Even though he probably believes in evolution. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe evolution would do him some good. (laughs) I think so. So we move on. I'm sorry, Father, did you have something else to add? No, go right ahead. Okay, okay. So we move here on to the 31st of January. We have a Zenit.org story about Francis addressing the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the pseudo-replacement for what used to be the Holy Office. And he's essentially saying, don't sweat the doctrine. Uh, he, he says here, quote, Since the early times of the church, the temptation has existed to understand the doctrine in an ideological sense or to reduce it to an ensemble of abstract and crystallized theories. In reality, doctrine has the sole purpose of serving the life of the people of God, and it seeks to assure our faith of a sure foundation. Great, in fact, is the temptation to, to appropriate ourselves the gifts of salvation that come from God to domesticate them, perhaps even with a good intention, to the views and the spirit of the world. And this is a temptation that is constantly repeated. What is what in the world is he saying here, Your Excellency? Well, first, since the early times, there's been a temptation to uh, understand the doctrine in an ideological sense. That is such a ridiculous statement. Since the beginning of the church, there has been dogma. That's the truth and that the church has always, if you pick up the Denzinger, you can find out, has always been very, very explicit about dogma and about condemning errors. Now, the Denzinger, that's, that's the term for the book of collected pronouncements of the church in, uh, by the popes and by councils that was done by a man in the 19th century by the name of Denzinger. If you read through that, it is as if one person is speaking even though it is many, many people in many, many different times. And it all speaks the same uh, firmness of doctrine. For him to say that there's been a temptation, I mean, what kind of a world is he living in? I mean, that's just an absurd statement it, it, to say there's been a temptation. Uh, the, there hasn't been a temptation. The church gave into it from day one. <laughs> Uh, I mean, even the the apostles in preaching to the Jews were very dogmatic. 
and and uh, you know, Saint Saint. Look at the Saint Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin and to the Pharisees, and he was stoned for it. My goodness, if you read what he said to them, I mean, <laughs> to say that was a temptation. <laughs> Uh, in reality, the sole purpose uh, uh, doctrine has the sole purpose of serving the life of the people of God. This is typical modernist that that doctrine is to uh, enhance your life. That you have to live doctrine in order that it be true. This was Blondel at the uh, turn of the nineteenth uh, to twentieth century. There was Maurice Blondel who came out with this uh, modernist doctrine that something is not true unless you live it. It's just straight out of the textbook, and and so it, so the the purpose of doctrine is to uh, you know enhance your life, uh, and uh, to uh, assure that our faith has a sure foundation. Well, what is faith? The the Catholic notion of faith is assent to truths revealed by God and proposed by the infallible magisterium of the Church, based on the authority of God revealing. That is faith. Now, what is he talking about? If uh, in faith, except some Protestant notion of faith, which is a feeling about God, and and uh, you know from his other statements about faith, we know that that's what he thinks it is: some warm, uh, fuzzy feeling about God. And doctrine serves this warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, you know that what that ends up with with doctrine, with regard to doctrine, that means doctrine evolves with hum- with humanity and. Whatever is practical, whatever human beings feel is uh, is something that enhances their life, becomes doctrine. That's modernism. That's in Pashendi. It, it's it, it, that is uh, Saint Pius X's condemnation of modernism. This is straight out of the modernist te- textbook. The other thing I'd add to that is, <clears throat> again, one of his little sixties obsessions uh, comes up about uh, ideology. Ideology, uh, the uh, doctrine in an ideological sense, or to reduce it to an ensemble of abstract and crystallized theories. So, what he is uh, saying there is not only knocking the idea of dogma, but a theological clarity. Because uh, in his system, one gets the impression that if you have uh, the warm and fuzzy feelings, uh, that is the, uh, in effect, that is the, the essence of uh, faith. And any organized uh, exposition of what you actually are supposed to uh, assent to doesn't count. It's ideology. So he uses that ideology as a denigrating term for uh, clear theological exposition. Yes. I think he's also making, Father, this this assumption or, or this assertion, I should say, that seems to be prevalent in all of Vatican II documents, and that is, is that well, the faithful were just too they they were just too confused. These 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 abstract and crystallized theories, aka doctrines, you know, they, they just don't understand it. I mean, this is just not what the early church wanted. It's this is not the plan. And uh, you know, thank, thank goodness for that big reset button of Vatican II. So now we can understand. And now they know nothing. <laughs> Right. I mean, they're continuing to try to clarify and clarify and clarify. I've read two articles uh, in the past um, uh, in the past month or so 
uh, the two different uh, uh, conservatives, mainline conservatives, complaining that uh, uh, the people who identify themselves as, as uh, uh, Catholics, the true post-Vatican II Catholics, have no real understanding of uh, Catholic doctrine. Not only that, but they're not particularly interested in it uh, as well, because the religion has, in the practical order, been reduced to feeling, and they're not um, ever required to learn uh, exactly what they would have been uh, when we were growing up, which were clear principles and clear teachings. And it's because well, of ecumenism. Ecumenism is a dogma killer. And Vatican II's main point is ecumenism. And that is why people do not care about dogma today, because of ecumenism. It, it doesn't matter what you believe. Well, moving on to this exciting topic of Catholic morality, which we have quite a bit of, quite a bit of stories here in our stack, we start off with this, uh, this National Catholic Reporter uh, story that came out on the 25th of January. Well, this, this Cardinal um, Oscar Rodriguez Meridiaga, who he was talking about the, the head of the CDF, the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, uh, Mueller's statement against divorce and remarriage. And he, he states that, well, because if I recall correctly, uh, Mueller came out and said that, well, you know, we can't do this. And this, uh, this Cardinal Meridiaga says, uh, well, he's still learning. And uh, as a German theology professor, uh, Meridiaga told the, uh, uh, the Kölner, uh, uh Stadt Anzinger newspaper in Germany that Mueller is convinced that something could only be right or wrong and that's it. But I say this, the world, my brother, is not like that. You should be a little more flexible when you hear other opinions so that you don't only say, no, this is fixed and final. Uh, gosh, that's, I mean, where do you begin with that? Well, one thing you have to say is um, Amada Diaga, first of all, is not just a um, some cardinal who has uh, floated over to Rome on a banana boat from South America, <laughs> but actually he is, he is the, I think that was politically incorrect, uh, actually he is the top banana of the C8 <laughs> group of cardinals. And uh, so he has been going around the world, uh, in effect, floating uh, these different ideas that uh, uh, Bergoglio uh, wants to promote. And he, he did a speech in the United States. He did a speech somewhere in South America. And so he is, in effect, Bergoglio's right-hand man and, and uh, head of this council. And uh, he is tangling with uh, Mueller, who... Uh, theoretically is in charge of uh, defending whatever Catholic doctrine is left. And so it's, it's also sort of outrageous from the point of view of perception because he's, he's shooting down this, this uh, guy saying that, well, he's a stubborn German and theology professor, and what do you expect? Uh, and Mueller so is a modernist. He, I mean, this man is no Ottaviani or anything. Mueller is, is a modernist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is... Uh, for to criticize Mueller as being Mr. Conservative is, is we're really at the bottom of the barrel here. Um, so the the uh, and this concerns divorce uh, and remarriage. This concerns sacraments to the divorced and remarried. That it's either you know uh, Mueller thinks it's either right or wrong. Well, you're dealing with sacrilege here. 
dealing with, in principle, the desecration of the Holy Eucharist by giving it to people who are public sinners. Now, that's either right or it's wrong. And adultery is either right or wrong. Uh, I think, isn't it the, the Sixth Commandment? It's a, isn't it number six? Thou oh, shalt not a, commit adultery? That's a detail. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's number six on the list of ten, Your Excellency. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is not some sort of theological speculation. This is hardcore. And so for him, in the context of that, I, I, it's, just, it's just such a bold abandonment of, of any kind of semblance of Catholicism. How do the Novus Ordo conservatives maintain this idea of continuity when this stuff is coming out? You know, and you have to be more flexible, and and uh, you know things are not fixed and final. I mean, the hell is pretty fixed and final, and that's where people go who commit adultery. That's what Saint Paul says: that adulterers will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But what did he know, right? Yeah. Maybe he was too fixed. I was going to say, I think you're just being too fixed and final about that. <laughs> I, I think so. That. <laughs> the the uh, as much as we can laugh about it, the, the reason that you do is it's so outrageous and crazy. It's like a parody of <laughs> of uh, uh, what uh, some sort of a satire of uh, what uh, you would think a crazy modernist would say. But now uh, these things are being said out loud by someone as important as Mara Diaga. So it's it's um, things are really moving along. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is this is sort of a this is sort of like you know the green flag for the race here, isn't it? I mean, this is this is going to give them really the green light to just to run off to wherever they're going to go. Well, yeah, they have no I mean, inhibition. And final. Uh, to me, I, I, I'm just waiting to see how the Novus Ordo conservatives deal with this, and for how long they're going to keep up the charade that this is all continuity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, you are listening to Francis Watch, Episode 2 on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Chicada. We are discussing the last 30 days of the news coming out of the, uh, uh, the Vatican and all of the side stories associated with those. Um, and we're going to move on here to the, the pressure that we're starting to sense from this, uh, for people to influence the direction of this upcoming synod. Uh, we had a survey result, which we talked about on the last show, the, uh, the upcoming survey, and the results are in where the laity have been polled. And no surprise here that the German and Swiss Catholics, quote-unquote, reject many of the church's teachings on the family. And so we have, a, we have a report here which says in Germany and Switzerland that, that it now shows a clear divergence between what the church teaches on marriage, sexuality, and family life, and what Catholics, even those active in parish life, personally believe. The differences are seen above all when it, becomes, uh, excuse me, when it comes to premarital cohabitation, the status of the divorced and remarried, birth control, and homosexuality. And premarital cohabitation would be also that old school term of living in sin, which we don't hear about any longer. So, mm-hmm. Your Excellency Father, um, are you surprised by any of this? No, not at all. Uh, it, it really is the effect of 50 years of Vatican II. Uh, either their clergy have taught them these things, or their clergy have sat by and permitted their people to be infected by these things. When you see this, you understand why the Church had the index of forbidden books, why it had Catholic schools, 
why it condemned errors and kept people away from errors. Because in a mere 50 years, in these Catholic areas, Bavaria, Austria, in Switzerland, these, before the council, were deeply Catholic areas. There was a man, a Swiss man, that told me uh, a number of years ago that the Catholic faith was so strong in Switzerland that if somebody became an adulterer in his small town, that they had to leave town because no one would have anything to do with them. They couldn't even conduct business in stores. That's how strong it was. It was a small town in German-speaking Switzerland. And this man, he told me this about, oh, 1985, about 30 years ago. So he was an old man at the time. So he was going back to maybe the 20s or the 30s. And that's when he was a child. He remembers that. They had to leave town. Now, what has happened? (laughs) That most of these people, I mean, if you look at the percentages here, 90 to 100% of the people, the Catholics uh, who are contemplating marriage, live together and think it's perfectly okay, even recommended. What has happened? And what has happened is Vatican II. That's what has happened, and anybody that doesn't see that that is the cause of all of this degeneration of belief, this apostasy, is as blind as a bat. That's what I say about it. That's the uh, the the other point, which... Uh actually is quite interesting um, from this report uh, has to do with marriage annulments. Uh, We, of course, have talked about this many times, what a joke uh, the uh, post-Vatican II marriage annulment um, uh, procedure is, the the spurious grounds that um, were used to justify these uh, annulments, how you had had uh, uh, 300 one time before Vatican II a year, then you have like 60,000 in the United States in one year after Vatican, in, in uh, certain years after Vatican II. So uh, people of, who, who have common sense would look at this objectively and say that, well, this is just a joke. It's, it's a, uh, uh, just in effect, approval of divorce. But the interesting thing is that these uh, couples who were uh, polled in um, Germany and in Switzerland uh, think of the modern annulment procedure as essentially dishonest because they say it's just a question um, uh, of our uh, marriage having failed and and, uh, we uh, we want to marry again. So at least they have perceived that, that that is, a, 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 in effect, is a fraud. Yeah, the other thing that I would notice out of that, too, that I saw was uh, the quote that said, many, in fact, consider it irresponsible to marry without living together beforehand. And I find that fascinating that that supposedly came from Catholics, quote-unquote, and I use quote-unquote on purpose there. You know, this is this is the same thing that I hear in the modern workplace. I mean, so Catholics really are no different from our 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 secular uh, practical atheists now. I mean, I think I think that this 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 degeneration of Vatican II has certainly reached its its uh, its desired course there. You are right, and I remember hearing exactly the same thing from uh, modernist priests 
uh, virtually immediately after Vatican II, the idea of a trial marriage, that uh, it would be more responsible to um, uh, to live together. That was I remember hearing that from from uh, several uh, several priests, really, who should have known better. But this is the the effect of those ideas uh, being spread for fifty years. The stated purpose of Vatican II was to change the church to fit the modern world. And that's exactly what we have. Mm-hmm. It sure so, yes, it's, it certainly has. Uh, on the 16th, here we move on to the 16th of February, and we now have Bergoglio parroting once again this listen to the people idea. And he, he certainly starts off with the most offensive uh, statement to the bishops meeting here. He says, uh, Jesus did not practice proselytism, said Bergoglio during a mass in 2012. He accompanied the close God close to our, excuse me, close to our flesh, the God of meeting who goes to meet with his people, the God that places his people as a situation of meeting. And with that closeness, with this walk, creates a culture of meeting that makes us brothers and makes us sons and daughters and not members of an NGO or converts of a multinational. Closeness, this is the proposal. So we have, you know. have the theme of the rejection of trying to convert people, first of all, proselytism. And he sounded that, of course, in the, the interview after his election. So this is consistent pretty much with what he uh, uh, talked about before, his, his pre-election um, pre-election obsessions, and he has this this uh, idea, uh, which uh, keeps on coming up, of uh, listening to people's opinions on such uh, such matters. And well, we see what kind of opinion the uh, Swiss and German Catholics have. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and uh, what about? Uh, teach ye all nations, and those who do not believe shall be condemned. Isn't that sort of uh, proselytism? Yes, you're actually we, right, Maybe that's, uh, we cut out that, that verse or something. Uh, right, but, the negative, but he negative has an verse. answer for that. He says, he says proselytism is solemn nonsense, remember? That was only <laughs> no, three right, or four yeah, months ago solemn now. Nonsense. Yeah. Solemn nonsense. So, I think that's so part now of we, the loose-leaf Bible. <laughs> the, what about the weeping over Jerusalem? Yeah. Because um, they did not know the time of their visitation. I think that's sort of kind of negative, too. Isn't it? So the uh, commentators on... Uh, remember that in preparation for the Synod, everyone is... Uh, uh, the bishops' conferences in all the different countries are supposed to take these uh, polls of uh, members of the laity on their uh, opinion on, on uh, different moral questions. And this is, um, uh, we see what we've got from the, uh, the Swiss and German Catholics, and it's very much part of uh, Bergoglio's ideology. And this, this, I think, will be put in place uh, as a, um, a motive or a justification for changing different moral teachings, because we're listening to the voice of the people of God. That's typically modernist, though. Yes. Dogma mm-hmm. comes from below. It coalesces, yep. Yes. So we also have Bergoglio using, and this, is, this is comes from uh, January the 24th, Bergoglio using pastoral code words to marriage tribunal judges. Father, can you comment on that? Yes, well, uh, Bishop Sanborn um, explained a little bit before um, the... 
uh, a 60s code for the word pastoral, which means, in effect, to uh, put aside uh, clear operating principles and allow people to uh, do what they want according to their, their uh, feelings. Okay, So Bergoglio uh, went to the uh, Roman Rota, which is the supreme uh, marriage court of uh, the Vatican, their highest tribunal for hearing marriage cases. So uh, he went there to uh, give you know the annual address that that uh, is uh, traditionally given there, and um, he uh, here's some of the comments. Most importantly, the Pope declared that the judges must be pastoral. Uh, this is where the Pope made his most interesting remarks. All church's life, even the church's law, must be dedicated to pastoral concerns. And to be pastoral means to imitate the good shepherd. Just as Jesus the good shepherd went in search of the lost sheep, so must the judge. The judge, after all, is Jesus' servant. Just as Jesus sought to rescue the sinning humanity through love, so must the judge. So the commentator says the speech hints at the possibility that we're going to see changes in the church's annulment uh, practices. In other words, what Bergoglio is doing there to the road up is he's saying again, don't sweat the idea of law and the application of, of legal and of moral principles here. That we can set these aside in the name of uh, being pastoral. Hmm. So you, you, you can see here this, this, uh, 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 the theme. The marriage theme keep on, uh, keeps on recurring. So we have here also, we have, actually we have a lot of stuff in this category here. Um, you know, we have here this, this uh, on January the 24th, the C8 head, which is, again, this, this, this Cardinal Maradiaga, he takes on, he takes on head-to-head here, again, this Cardinal Mueller, who he, he states over again, he sort of puts a dig at him. He says, well, he's a German. You know, one has to say, and above all, he's a German theology professor, so his mentality is that there's only one truth and falsehood. Um, you know, sounds I like racism to me. It, it does me too. It sounds very, very <laughs> uncharitable, doesn't it? Well, he's a it German. Is, and he's a German. It's like, you know, it's, it's racist. Yeah. He's a Honduran. Uh, so, what, are, what are we supposed to think about Hondurans? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or so, or uh, Argentinians, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, what, you know, that, that's, a, that's a very nasty thing to say. Yes, indeed. But we, but we see, you know, we're starting to see a shaping here that you can tell something big is trying to happen here, that, that, that they're really trying to get at an end game here with this, with this upcoming synod, particularly on these issues of marriage. So I think, I think both of you are correct. I think we're going to see something shocking come out of this. So he talks, uh, Maradiaga, in, the, in his um, campaign against uh, Mueller, he speaks of the failure of a marriage, the failure of a marriage. Uh, for, uh, after the failure of a marriage, for example, we can ask if the spouses were truly united in God. Right, there's the, the weasel adverb. There's much room for further reflection here. I'll bet there is. Uh, but then he uh, tries to uh, throw the bone to the conservatives. Oh, we're not going in the direction that whatever is black today will be white tomorrow. Mm, but, just gray, uh, maybe. Yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> so, One word. They are, I, uh, it's, it's clear to me that they are 
giving out these things little by little as a preparation of people's mentality to accept these things. Yes. Already the German bishops are are giving holy, well, whatever they call the communion wafer, to to divorce and remarry. They they defied Mueller on that. I think it was all theater. I think it was a scripted play. But in any case, the the Germans are doing it. So and they're getting away with it. So uh, Bergoglio is saying nothing as the Germans uh, desecrate supposedly the Blessed Sacrament by giving it to to uh, divorce and remarried people. I, I, I just see it coming. I would be very surprised if it didn't come. They, they constantly, they're, they're bringing up these things. And they're preparing people for, a, a, I think, a pretty shocking change in, in, uh, in these policies. Well, Your Excellency, that brings us to a story that just came out today, actually, uh, that, that was actually posted this afternoon. And I think your intuition is right. There was an article on, I think this is a blog, I believe, here, and, and it was, the title of the story was called Courage and Creativity is Urged as Cardinals Begin Talks on Family Issues. There's a key quote in here from, of course, Walter Casper, who I'm sure that our listeners are aware of. Maybe, maybe you can expound on him in a few minutes. Well, but actually, I think this is from Bergoglio himself. Oh, is it? Is it? Yes, okay. indeed. Oh, this is even better. Oh, better he than picked Casper. He picked Casper to address the Cardinals, and Casper oh, okay. is one of the more progressive loonies over there, uh, <laughs> and uh, rather than Mueller, who is a less progressive loony. Yeah. And um, but the uh, this this uh, quote in the blog is actually from Bergoglio himself. So you might oh, want gosh. to reach some bits of it. This is a quote here from Bergoglio being delivered by his mouthpiece. He says, quote, Our reflections must keep before us the beauty of the family and marriage, the greatness of this human reality, which is so simple and yet so rich, consisting of joys and hopes, of struggles and sufferings, as is the whole of life. We will seek to deepen the theology of the family and discern the pastoral practices which present situation requires. Okay, there's May our pastoral so There you go. Yeah, well, there we are. Yeah. Yeah. No. May, may we do so thoughtfully and without falling into casuistry, because this would, this would inevitably diminish the quality of our work. So here is a modernist buzzword here. You know, open the modernist textbook, the dictionary, and flip to see, and you have this. Your Excellency, can you, can you talk about this? Yes, well, he's, uh, first of all, the, I mean, just the whole approach is very bizarre. If you have polls like this coming through from German-speaking Catholic areas, uh, the, which, which are so appalling, the thing to do is to be extremely alarmed that the faith has eroded so much in those areas that these people think these things and do these things. But you see that the... I mean, he's talking as if the church never spoke about the family. You know, that, that what, what do we need to say? It has all been said. But, so you can tell that there's some other agenda here, and that, that, that idea of the needs of the present time, I think, is very important. They are, are seeing the emptying of their churches in Europe, and they know that if they don't come around on some of these issues, there's going to be nothing left on Main Street. It's going to be like one of those shuttered Main Streets that you see in small towns in America, you know, where there's one or two stores left. Uh, it's it's there's going to be nothing left in 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 Europe, and that that will eventually get into other places as well. I think for them it's it's a uh, an intention to uh, let down the hair 
uh, of Catholic morality in order to accommodate these people in this futile attempt to draw them into the, their churches. Uh, here, Vatican II has fallen flat on its face by uh, adapting to the modern world. Flat on its face. And has emptied churches out everywhere. And they, their remedy is to get more liberal and more modernist in order to draw these people in. These adulterers and all of these birth control addicts and everything, they're not going to go to those churches. Not, they don't care about that stuff. And they, they're they calling for... These people have already left Catholicism. And they just want to see Catholicism become mainstream with with modern paganism. That's all. That's why Time Magazine put him on the front cover, because finally he's become a pagan. The, the, the Catholic Church has become pagan. But because he has, you know, said we have to stop being, we have to stop worrying about birth, uh, rather abortion and homosexuality. So finally, you know, the the all of the liberals of the world and the and the pagans and free thinkers and atheists and agnostics, oh, you know, finally there there's a, a letdown and there's a, a a relaxation and these people are enlightened now. That's what's the, that's what they're not going to come into churches. Uh, so, but I think that's part of it is that if we don't do something about this, if we don't change our attitudes toward adultery and homosexuality and all of these other things, we're going to uh, just completely shut down Europe. There's a little quote here at the very bottom of this story that I think Your Excellency is proving everything that you're saying, and of course Father Chicada as well, and it goes like this, quote, Father Lombardi said Cardinal Casper spoke about the situation of divorced and remarried Catholics citing the need to find a solution that took into account both pastoral compassion and church law. The cardinal indicated that the sacrament of reconciliation was a possible path toward a solution for such difficult situations, unquote. Well, that, now that's very interesting because if, because if the sacrament of reconciliation is a possible path, I mean, I ask the question, then what are they confessing? They're not confessing, they're reconciling. Uh, well, they, true. They're going to go in and say, uh, well, the few that do, I mean, uh, those are empty closets, most of those uh, reconciliation rooms and all. I mean, nobody goes in them, and they're useful for brooms and other things. But the, for the few people that are going to bother to go in, the priest is going to ask them, are you in good conscience about your failed marriage and your new spouse? And the person will say, yes, I'm in good conscience. Then it'll be go in peace. Uh, the the Vatican II preached primacy of conscience over the teaching of the church. Uh, it's all part of ecumenism, primacy of conscience. Um, Bergoglio said a number of months ago that atheists can can be right with God if they follow their conscience. Uh, that means there's absolutely no need to adhere to the faith. You can as, as, you can be a good atheist, you know, in the sense that you'll repeat again and again, "I don't believe in God," and and because you're following your conscience, you're justified with God. This is the mentality of these people. So I, I think it will just be a a way of uh, formalizing the fact that conscience has primacy in this new religion. That's my and, opinion. <clears throat> Lest. Um some of them think that uh, His Excellency is uh, exaggerating about the con confessional practice. Um, what you described, Your Excellency, is was in fact the uh, common practice with 
many of your more progressive uh, modernist clergy, they would refer to that as an internal forum solution for a marriage problem. Uh, you would uh, go to confession and uh, you would talk with the priest a little bit and he would come to the conclusion you were in good faith that your first marriage uh, was uh, invalid or failed somehow. Uh, and uh, since you were in good conscience, you could go ahead and uh, receive the sacraments. In fact, this uh, so-called internal forum solution it was one that was... Uh, uh, discussed a actually quite widely in the uh, modernist press and um, uh, criticized as well by Catholic conservatives such as uh, such as the Wanderer. Uh, this, though, is what one can see uh, what one can see happening, and it's 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 not a that, that there will be some sort of formulation uh, or directive that will allow this. There will be the hope that this will uh, maintain the fiction that we're still uh, adhering to the divine law, you know, uh, whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Uh, but uh, the uh, it will simply be maintaining a fiction because in in practice it will be gone. That's exactly the way that artificial birth control became so popular among Catholics because. They were being absolved in the confessional and being told by priests, even outside the confessional, that you know if they feel that it's right, well, they can do it. Uh, that's why so many of them feel that way. Where else would they learn it? How could they continue to practice the, their religion and get away with that, except if there's a blessing upon it in a private way from clergy? And so you have this hypocrisy, this pharisaical hypocrisy where the high clergy says, oh, it's wrong, and it's in the catechism that it's wrong, and and this is terrible, or, or you know, at least that it's all wrong. You have the hypocrisy of bishops saying, we cannot pay for health insurance that requires us to, to pay for contraception, when all of their people are contracepting <laughs> with the blessing of their priests. And and so they'll just do the same thing with divorce and remarriage. The the only difference is that divorce and remarriage is public, whereas birth control is a private thing. Nobody really knows about it. But the the except that you, you only have two kids usually. But the the uh, this is a a public thing, and uh, that will be a big step. But all the theology is therefore it, and it's been there since the 1960s. So it's, in that sense, nothing new. No. Well, you know, we also have this, this, this role of the diminishing papacy, and, and this, this, this sort of ties into what we're talking about here, because Cardinal, Cardinal uh, uh, Muller here has been taking quite a, he's really been taking quite a bit of punches here uh, from, from many of his colleagues about him not getting it on this issue of divorce, uh, you know, divorced remarried Catholics. Um, but there was a story on the National Catholic Reporter. This was on the 31st of January, and the title of the story was Vatican's Doctrinal Congregation Isn't So Supreme Anymore. Interesting quote here. It says, uh, quote, There is no question that the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith was supreme under Popes John Paul II and Benedict XVI. No one would have questioned its supremacy when Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger was, was prefect. But the Supreme Congregation doesn't look so supreme anymore. It has been publicly criticized by, by a curial cardinal from Brazil, by the president of the German's Bishop Conference, 
and by two cardinals who were members of the Council of Cardinals appointed by the Pope to advise him on reforming the Vatican. Even Pope Francis told Latin American religious not to worry about the congregation. Now, that is unprecedented, isn't it? I mean, I, mean, I can't imagine Pope St. Pius X saying, eh, don't worry about the Holy Office. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no, hey. No, uh, but it, it, it's even unprecedented to a great extent, even with the modernists. It is the first time that you see a... Uh, I'll see a reducing uh, of the quote-unquote authority of that congregation. Although, don't forget what happened at Vatican II. Cardinal Ottaviani got up, he was the head of the Holy Office, <clears throat> and was denouncing certain errors, and he went over his time. And the person, I think it was one of those really liberal cardinals, was in, in charge of cutting people off. So instead mm -hmm. of permitting him to go over, he cut off his microphone and then everyone applauded. And the mm -hmm. cardinal had to leave in shame. Uh, that, that, that is the attitude of these rebels and renegades that, that are uh, inhabiting the Vatican. There is no real dogmatic authority. Uh, the, uh, we're just seeing Vatican II in its, in its nakedness. Up to now, there's been certain coverings on it, veils and... There's been certain vestiges of Catholicism in those buildings. Vestiges. So when the Holy Office says something, people take it more or less seriously. Now that's being torn down. Uh, but it should be torn down because these people are not Catholics. Uh, and and you know, keeping up the vestiges is, is as absurd as, as you know, heretics wearing uh, fancy vestments. It, it, it's, it's just a, it's a sham. It, it's opera. That's all it is. And I'm happy to see it happen because I hope that it will wake up the Novus Ordo conservatives who are still clinging to all of this as continuity. I hope it will wake them up. The uh, in, what, um, Precisely what we're describing, you know, in, uh, in other words, is the, the, the uh, uh, attack that's permitted... Uh, on cent the, the the notion of uh, central doctrinal authority in the church, which uh, is a principle that is near and dear to the hearts of the Novus Ordo conservatives, that they always uh, would look for some sort of uh, solution to come from the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, or something to come from uh, the Holy See if there was some sort of doctrinal error. But now that it's it's uh, open season, uh, that's the message. If you have have five prominent clerics who uh, can get away with poo-pooing the uh, doctrinal authority of what's supposed to be the the the, uh, the supreme doctrinal authority of what is supposed to be the Catholic Church, and then you have who is supposedly this head on earth saying don't pay too much attention to them, uh, then uh, that should be a very dramatic sign to these people that uh, you know the party is over and it's time to put aside the uh, the illusions, the real illusions. There's something interesting here toward, towards the end of this article, and really what it talks about, or at least the, the quote kind of shows, is just this complete dissolution of authority, that there's really that, 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 that the idea of the papacy is just a, really, it's nothing more than a titular honor. 
Uh, and, and, of course, you know, we see that with Bergoglio constantly calling himself the Bishop of Rome, the Bishop of Rome. But the article says here, and this is a, uh, this is, this is a Francis speech of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, and, and essentially he says Pope Francis wants a, a kindler and gentler CDF that, uh, that seeks always to have a, quote, constructive dialogue, respectful and patient with authors. If truth exacts fidelity, the latter grows always in charity and in fraternal help for those called to mature and clarify their convictions. You know, this is, this is interesting that, that it, it would be, you know, it, you need to mature and clarify your convictions because you're the one that doesn't get it. <laughs> I mean, it's it, all it, reversed. It's turn, I mean, uh, this turn found, yeah, the, the, the funny part of this is that it sounds like you have an Octaviani holy office. They, you, you have a modernist holy office, and there is absolute doctrinal chaos. You can say whatever you want. Hans Kung can, can deny any dogma that he wants. Nobody says anything. This chaos, the seminaries are full, the few seminaries that there are, are loaded with heresy. There's heresy everywhere. The people are full of heresy. And there's this, again, illusion, as Father says, of this, you know, stalwart CDF that is holding the line. You know, this is absurd. This is just absurd. Bishops deny the faith. The whole thing is a complete bathtub of heresy. And, and you know... <laughs> To say we need a, a nicer CDF, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, when was the last time that someone was excommunicated for heresy? The only thing you get excommunicated for is adhering to the traditional mass and, and for assuring that the Catholic episcopacy goes on valid. That you get, you get the, your head chopped off for. But the, you know, for any kind of doctrinal deviation... <laughs> I mean, th yeah. this is just living a, in a world of absurdity. Well, yeah, Father, it, it uh, truly is. <laughs> the um, uh, other point um, in uh, this regard under the issue of diminishing the papacy is also uh, <clears throat> another theme that we've seen from Bergoglio is um, <laughs> moving the authority for deciding doctrinal errors or doctrinal matters down to the bishops local bishops conferences and so this this note was uh one that uh was sounded again in um francis's speech to the cdf that uh bishops conferences should now have a, a say in that so this is uh, another step in uh diminishing the Diminishing the concept of it, there's nothing. Uh, there will be nothing left to the idea of uh, the CDF or some sort of uh, uh, central doctrinal authority, because it's all involved in in collegiality and and uh, the dialogue with these bishops' conferences. I mean, they they might as well just uh, you know close the holy office down. Well, what they're doing is creating an Episcopal church. And yes. Bergoglio is something like the Church of England, and the the Bergoglio will end up as much as the head of the church, so to speak, as Queen Elizabeth is the head of the Church of England. Mm -hmm. 
you know, approving of bishops and and doing ceremonial things with bishops and whatnot. But he uh, he they're making an Episcopal church and they're giving a doctrinal authority to these Episcopal conferences. So uh, you'll you'll see a, a complete breakup of of doctrine uh, more than is even now you'll see like an official breakup of doctrine i mean the fact for example that you have this outrageous practice going on in germany uh and nothing is said or done because the bishops there have decided that this is right to give adulterers the sacraments uh public adulterers that that uh that's outrageous i mean the sin of that uh, uh, but you see that this this uh, unraveling of of the institution even. So, so that that's uh, uh, the, and they are giving this stuff out, in my opinion, very very deliberately to gradually change the mindset of people to accept these things. It's being spoon fed. I, I, I have no hesitation about that, and I think that it's scripted. I think Mueller is scripted. Ma, Ma, Ma Driaga, is that his name? Mara Yeah, he, yes, he's Mariana. scripted. Uh, I, I think it, it is all well planned, in my opinion. But what we were talking about, uh, Your Excellency, uh, a while back was the um, prediction, actually, that Ratzinger made about the transformation of the papacy. Yes. Uh, the, um, there was an uh, article very good article by uh, Don Francesco Rocosa, one of our, our uh, colleagues in uh, northern Italy, who's the head of the Institute of Mother of Good Counsel. And he uh, wrote uh, an article more than two decades ago about uh, Ratzinger's involvement in a uh, uh, colloquial, uh, colloquium with uh, the Waldensians, who were types of Protestants in Italy. And they were talking about the future of uh, future of the papacy. And the title of the article, in case you're interested in finding it, it's on traditionalmass.org. That's traditionalmass.org on the articles page. And it's called Ratzinger, 99% Protestant. So this was in 93 before uh, you know, Ratzinger had any hope of election. And so he talks about the transformation of the papacy along ecumenical lines, how it's, uh, how ecumenism is one of the necessary uh, courses of, uh, for the church to follow, that it's something that's fundamental and indisputable. And he said that the papacy is the hindrance, the hindrance to ecumenical uh, progress. And the aim of which is to um, come up with a unity of churches within the church. And he says, we don't know how we're going to achieve this yet. But uh, one of the things that he uh, recommended is that uh, the church follow the um, recommendation of a Protestant named Oscar Kuhlmann, who believed in unity in uh, diversity. Uh, that that was Kuhlman's idea, and that uh, you, you talk about a return to the essentials, and then uh, also you uh, purify your respective uh, churches. So uh, this is something the the this.
transformation of the papacy is 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 something. I think that uh, Bergoglio is uh, trying to effect now, twenty years later. Yes, he he also said in that talk to the Waldensians that he didn't know what the papacy would be like in twenty years. He couldn't even predict what the papacy would be like. So this is all in the works. I mean, this is really uh, nothing nothing unexpected here. It's uh, it's just shocking. The reason why it's shocking is, again, I, I am sort of harping on these people, but the Novus Ordo conservatives who are trying to see continuity. Uh, in they, they are agonizing over lack of continuity between Vatican II and and uh, pre-Vatican II. They they agonize and they they cling to the idea that somehow this all makes sense. And uh, so they are, uh, you know, getting. I think they are the ones that are really suffering during this time because more and more is getting piled upon them every day that denies their thesis. Uh, and uh, so, but really, all of this has been in the works. Ecumenism. Paul the Sixth said back in the 1960s, the papacy is the greatest obstacle to ecumenism. So if ecumenism must stay, and, and that's what John Paul II said, it's here to stay, that's what Ratzinger said, and, and Bergoglio, it's, you know, it cannot be reversed, and, uh, then the papacy has to go. It's very simple. And that's what they're doing. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Francis Watch, episode number two on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I'm joined, I'm joined by Bishop Donald Sanborn, rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, assistant pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. And today we've been discussing the last 30 days of the news out of Bergoglio's Rome, and we've been covering the, uh, the upcoming topics for the Synod, the, the, new, the new morality on marriage, divorce and remarriage, uh, uh, divorce and remarriage for quote-unquote Catholics, on and on. So we're going to move in here in the next few minutes to Bergoglio and Traditionalists, but we'd like first to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. I'd also like to add that if you're listening to our show on iTunes or on Stitcher, please make sure to leave us some ratings and some reviews. It helps us get our shows easily um, uh, found whenever you're doing a search engine uh, for Restoration Radio. So, to your excellency and father, we have a... Uh, uh, on January the 28th here, Bergoglio takes back to the takes back to the stage again to condemn stingy formality and prayer. This is, this, is very, this is very Bergoglian now. We're starting to hear a lot of this. This trend is repeating itself. I mean, he really, really is passionate about this topic, and he doesn't waste any opportunities here. He says, quote, uh, those who are closed in the formality of a prayer that is cold, stingy, might as well end up as Michael in, this, in the sterility of her formality. The Pope then asked the faithful to imagine David dancing, quote, with all his might before the Lord, and that we, quote, think of how beautiful it is to make the prayer of praise. So apparently traditionalists can't, can't have a prayer of praise. They're unhappy, they're sterile, they're cold and stingy. Yes, I plead guilty to all of that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Uh, all I can think of is that dancing before the Lord is that those that spectacle of those absurd bishops in uh, Rio, waving their those old geezers, half of them waving their arms back and forth, it, it, just making themselves uh, a spectacle of absurdity. 
uh, if that's what he means by dancing with all your might before the Lord. Uh, the um, uh, but this again, you can see his hatred. There's hatred. The that's I think the most important thing in what he says. The uh, he just has a seething hatred for pre-Vatican II. He can't stop talking about it. He constantly insults it. Uh, and this is the tradition of the church. This is Catholicism. Uh, uh, we've hardly ever seen this before. Again, those other phony popes, uh, Paul VI, John Paul II, and, and, uh, and Ratzinger, at least had some sense about... They, they understood the problem of continuity. They did, and that you can't call all that 2,000-year that history a lot of garbage. You have to somehow uh, schmooze and and make sure that everything is is, is uh, you know level and flush uh, with regard to what happened after Vatican II. This one uh, is is just uh, has a seething hatred, and and all of these insults come out of his mouth. Uh, it's really kind of a, a an ugly and disgusting thing to to watch. It, it really is, and it's a. Uh, also, what is behind it is his uh, peculiar idea, I think, of faith as emotion. That uh, worship that is worth its salt in his, um, uh, in his world is something that is essentially emotional, that has an emotional component in it. And this is a uh, uh, this is what comes through in his his condemnation of of formality. And, uh, in effect, he's saying that the rubrics of the mass operate uh, public operating public worship according to rules is not authentic, is not uh, truly Christian. Whereas we know that the opposite. Uh, actually, is true in terms of the the history of all the worship of of, uh, uh, of the church, but his his uh, idea, his his hatred for this this regulation of the sacred liturgy is uh, based on a different idea of faith. Of faith as encounter and emotion, and if you uh, feel by swaying back and forth and by having balloons and by dancing, uh, that um, uh, if you feel elevated by that, that is a good thing. If you don't get that feeling, well, then your worship is stingy and formal and sterile. He's giving essentially a license to all of the, the loonies to cook up liturgies that are really bizarre when, with talk like this. I mean, what what would not be in accordance with what he's saying here? What What sort of... Uh, aberration uh, would not be all right uh, based on what he says. If, 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 if you need spontaneity and, and all of these other things, uh, that really just opens up the door to all, all kinds of uh, bizarre things. And the liturgy, well, and the, lit- the liturgy, the liturgical establishment, of course, have picked up on this uh, and uh, you know discuss it, and they're absolutely delighted. Uh, in effect, he says that uh, the rules aren't important. So, uh, again, the revolution picks up speed because uh, he is able to communicate these ideas and give this example on a worldwide basis so quickly. 
Well, I think the answer to both of you from Bergoglio would be that you just have sourpuss theologies, you know, and you are just priest wheeler dealers, and you know you don't understand it. So that's he hasn't that's come up with those, but if he's listening, he might say those tomorrow. Those are those are pretty good uh, the characterizations you're making. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to be sourpusses and not want to have happy dance. All right, so. So we move here to a Valentine's Day, a St. Valentine's Day message, and this this is the one that went viral. On uh, it was posted originally on uh, on uh, Baratticelli, and it was the comment about the old mass is just a fashion. So since Lent is fast approaching, and we all work on our addictions here, uh, let's let's talk about the quote here. The Archbishop, <laughs> this this quote came from Archbishop. Uh, a young Grobner, who, who says he was discussing uh, the audience with the bishops of the Czech Republic, and he was, he was talking about what, what you, uh, Francis had to say. He says, when we were discussing those who are fond of the ancient liturgy and wish to return to it, it was evident that the Pope speaks with a great affection, attention, and sensitivity for all in order not to hurt anyone. However, he made quite a strong statement when he said he understands when the old generation returns to what it experienced, uh, but, he, but he cannot understand the younger generation wishing to return to it. When I search more thoroughly, the Pope said, I find that it is rather kind of a fashion. And if it is a fashion, therefore it is a matter that does not need that much attention. It is necessary, excuse me, it is just necessary to show some patience and kindness to people who are addicted to a certain fashion. But I consider greatly important to go deep into things, because if we do not go deep, no liturgical form, this or that one, can save us. So here you have it, our addictions. Is, 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 your actual thing, is this is, you know, from the pulpit, is this going to be something you, you, know, you recommend as possibly a Lenten penance to get rid of addictions? I would like to see a government program. Don't you, can't you qualify for government programs if you have an addiction to something? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty what sure I meant. When I heard that, I thought, gosh, we might you know, get some money here. But the, um, um, the, again, he's living in another world. He has no idea what's going on in the traditional movement. It is not a fashion. It is not some passing fad. The people who adhere to the traditional mass, whether it's ourselves, whether it's SSPX, whether it's FSSP, all of the, the whole spectrum, are doing so with some very deep convictions. And the, the, this is, <laughs> and it's not as if it makes you popular, or it's, it's not some superficial thing like a fashion. Uh, it, it is, it is a very deep conviction for some very, very grave reasons. What is he talking about? He has no idea what he's talking about. He, 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 he just says these things that make no sense. He doesn't even. No, I mean it's not a fashion, and it's not an addiction, as if there were some sort of a un unreasoned uh, attachment to something that makes us feel good. It is very well reasoned. It happens to have a two thousand year history. It happens to be in all of the textbooks of the Catholic Church, in all of its great libraries. I mean, this is this is Catholicism that we're adhering to, but he calls it an addiction. You know, it just shows how superficial. And again, I'm sorry to always harp on the same thing: stupid he is. That that he, you know, he he says ridiculous things that no one could take seriously. 
And this, uh, I would add to that, is uh, this comment is motivated, again, by actually by his contempt for anything pre-Vatican II. And it, it is these are the uh, words of uh, you know the '60s Stalinist liberal that he uh, is. Uh, they're not only unrealistic and unconnected with the reality of what traditional Catholics are doing and what uh, they believe, but it's a remark that's that's based in this, uh, in essence, this sort of hatred. Uh, for the past, this uh, contemptuous uh, dismissal of it. You know, to say that, well, everyone is shallow, uh, that, that uh, our, our reasoning uh, and our convictions are uh, shallow. You know, that, that, uh, that just manifests contempt. But it's, it's not surprising. It's uh, uh, part of the man, as it were. If he had said something, well, I think these people are mistaken, even though they might entertain serious reasons for what they're doing. I mean, he would, of course, be wrong, but at least he would not show contempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, this idea that there's something wrong with you, you've got a problem, you know, you have an addiction, and you're just uh, adhering to fads. That, that shows a real uh, a type of hatred, or uh, it, it's uh, patronizing, and, you know, it, it's, uh, that, that, that's, that is what is very revealing about what he says. Yes. I think something else here, too, is it, it, it just shows a supreme disconnection from really the reality of what the traditional Catholic faith is. I mean, uh, I think he really believes somewhere in his mind that he is shocked that as soon as you know, the older generation who are dragging their oxygen bottles to mass keel over, that, that, uh, that, that you know, the young people uh, should want to have nothing to do with this, that it's just, you know, hey, this is something for the older generation, their fashion, their attachment, as he says, what they experience, because it is all about experience. I think he really believes this, that he just can't believe that there's a younger generation that would be attracted to this. And I think probably somewhere deep down inside it offends him, so he has to label it as an addiction. Um, it really shows a disconnect from, from reality, I think. Yeah, those, those liberals and modernists still are living in their illusion, and that is that Vatican II is a great success, and that it has drawn in the young people and that the young people are, are just really alive and full of fire about this new religion. They, they live in that world, and they think that by giving more Vatican II, you're going to get more young people. In fact, the situation of the young people is either that they have left entirely, that's most of them, except for weddings and funerals, or they, have, uh, they embrace some form of conservatism, is that... that Either they're traditionalists or they are Novus Ordo conservatives, but that's, that's nearly the, the 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 whole scene is you very seldom see sort of moderate and mainstream Novus Ordoite young people. It almost doesn't exist. If they are going to those churches, uh, they are seeking out uh, you know the traditional things, traditional pastors, and and. Uh, that, that's the reality. Again, he lives in a world that doesn't exist, this man. Over and over again we see this, that he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't talk to these people. Uh, he wouldn't because he has contempt for them. Uh, you know, so, uh, that, but the, that, that's typical of these people. They, they cannot believe that the Vatican II baby is dead, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
Well, now we move on to, to His Excellency's favorite topic of ecumenism. And this was a story which came out from the Vatican Insider uh, on January the 20th. And it was a, it was a, a statement that was given uh, from Francis to Muslim and Christian youth who were, who were meeting at Sacred Heart Parish in Rome. This was, this was his message. And, of course, we've touched a bit on this in previous shows from last season, so you're going to hear some of the same themes again. But it's important because it's current, and he really believes this. This is really, this is really what he told them. Quote, it is important you do this when you meet. Those who are Christians with the Bible and those who are Muslims with the Koran, with the faith you have received from your fathers, a faith that will always help you move forward, share your faith because there is one single God, the same God. Unquote. Your Excellency? Well, we worship Jesus Christ. Uh, do the Muslims worship Jesus Christ? I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't recall that. No. Uh, well, obviously, again, he even his own uh, Jesuit uh, uh, s- uh, scholar on Islam said that it's not the same God, that the, the concept of God among the Muslims is very different from the Christian God. So, again, he's speaking out of ignorance and stupidity. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's repeating something that he's heard, that uh, it's all the same God. Uh, it's ecumenical because there is no dogma about God. God doesn't mean anything. The dogmas of concerning God don't mean anything. God is a feeling in you. And he says there is no Catholic God. Uh, and, and so, you know, he detaches the notion of God from any kind of dogma, which is typically modernist. Uh, let, let's uh, see what, what spiritual gems you find in the Koran. It says, uh, they are surely infidels who say... Verily, God is Christ, the Son of Mary. So that's a quote from the Koran. Another one is, Christ, the Son of Mary, is no more than an apostle. Uh, And then uh, it says, Verily, the word cattle in the sight of God are those who are obstinate infidels, which means the Christians, and will not believe. And then it says, O prophet, stir up the faithful to war, if 20 of you persevere with constancy, they shall overcome 200. And if there be 100 of you, they shall overcome 1,000 of those who believe not, because they are a people who do not understand. So they are invited to make war upon the infidels. Uh, another wonderful spiritual gem is, it hath not been granted unto any prophet that he should possess captives until he had made a great slaughter of the infidels in the earth. All right? That, that's spiritual. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you're sharing your faith with us. Yeah, I'm and, sharing. And uh, yeah. We're, we're going to move forward on that, I think, to slay some Christians or something yeah. like that. Oh, he says, uh, as far as infidels, kill them where, wherever you find them. That's another, that's another quote from Ooh. me. Yeah. Kill them wherever you that's, find them. That's very ecumenical. Yeah, yeah mm, so those indeed. are the... the yes, it's, a lot of spirituality there. We so, uh, uh, we have a quick caller here uh, who wants to just kind of touch back on the subject of Bergoglio and the traditionalist hatred that he has. The caller is from Stephen, Idaho, and he's wanting to know whether or not, specifically, Your Excellency, if you think that Francis will allow the FSSP to continue. Uh, Steve, is that does that sum up your question? Yes. Will he allow them to continue, or will he? sort of uh, cut them back. I don't think that he's real fond of having the FSSP, and I realize that 
they were started by John Paul II, and so I was wondering if he thought Francis would allow it to continue. Well, I'm sure that he would like to see it burn up <laughs> if mm. he had his druthers. Uh, uh, I think he would like to suppress it. Uh, but I think that practicality tells him that it's just too much, at least too fast, in the sense that he, he may not be able to do that. Uh, it's too well established, too entrenched. And don't forget, uh, John Paul II is a saint. So, yeah. so he's going to canonize him. So you you know to say that what the saint did was bad is you know not good you know, publicity. So the uh, I. I think that uh, he will certainly not suppress them, but I think he's going to, uh, uh, how would you say, restrict them and, and probably give them a hard time about accepting the new mass more and accepting certain things. Uh, just the way, in the same way that he went in ruthlessly to that congregation in Italy, uh, I would suspect that they're going to get a visit or two and that they're going to uh, have some uh, reforms that they have to make. Uh, that would be my prediction. That's okay. that's mine as as well. That it'll be a, uh, seeing how he operated with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Uh, it 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 would be bad PR uh, to uh, attack them directly and suppress them directly. But uh, the operation will be um, a lot of legalistic wing clipping and uh, restrictions, and that can be accomplished, uh, for instance, by uh, giving. The uh, bishop synod, the bishop synods in different countries, let's say, the right to regulate the uh, public celebration of the old rite of mass, and uh, so you clip their wings they, uh, that way. So it could, I don't think they're going to uh, go away. He'd like them to go away, but um, uh, they're going to be uh, subjected, uh, at least, if not to the death of a thousand cuts, at least the injury of five hundred cuts. You know, with, with uh, small things, as much as he can manage, because obviously oh, they are out. You know. I don't think he would want to drive them over to SSPX either, which would happen, at least with a great deal of them, if he really came down upon them. Yeah, uh, I think uh, they're fairly numerous now, the uh, Fraternity of Saint Peter and. Uh, uh, I, you know, I think you would see a defection over to SSPX, uh, and I don't think you would want to see that. Yeah. All right. Well, Steve, thank you for your phone call. I appreciate thank it you. very much. For those of you just joining us, uh, we are starting to reach you know, the home stretch of our show this evening. You're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, show number two, sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. I'm Justin Sodier, your host, and I am joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. We have been covering a tremendous amount of news here over the last 30 days since our Francis Watch One show. Uh, marriage, uh, attacks on traditionalists, uh, the Bishop's Synod coming up, the consistory, uh, all kinds of good stuff. And if you missed the first uh, the first half of our show, you can go to restorationradionetwork.com. You can uh, download the show as uh, probably about five minutes after the show is complete. And if we do run over this evening for just a few minutes, uh, the show will post about five minutes after, uh, again, that, that we finish up here this evening. So let's move on here. Uh, more to this ecumenism being a priority. Uh, uh, Father, 
I'm going to let you handle this one. Uh, and this expression of how the Bishop of Rome is perceived, this is a Vatican Insider story. Uh, and Francis tells, and I know we're, we're going to be shocked about this, I'm sure. Uh, Francis told Vatican Insider in the Italian newspaper La Stampa in, in uh, December's interview, for me, ecumenism is a priority. I know both of you are probably gasping in, in, in shock there. Um, shock. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So, so what is the meaning behind this, Father, this, this, this whole changing this idea of how the expression Bishop of Rome is perceived? You know, are the natives getting restless here with this whole Bishop of Rome stuff? <laughs> well, the, uh, the reason for picking it, and when, he first, when it first came out of his mouth, off of um, uh, when he stepped out onto the loggia of St. Peter and started talking about the Bishop of Rome, is that you can figure this as an ecumenist here. And while it is true that that's the primary title, as it were, of, of um, uh, the Pope, that's the reason behind it all, uh, it is also the, it's a code word, and it's an uh, expression that uh, will, that has, uh, as it were, an ecumenical value. Uh, that uh, you will uh, get Protestants who will say that, yes, of course, he's, he's the Bishop of Rome. There's no question that this, this man is the Bishop of Rome. But the, uh, beyond that, the idea that this endows him with any, um, uh, anything more than primacy or anything more than a uh, special historical title or any um, jurisdictional or legislative uh, role in the church is something that we don't accept. But Bishop of Rome is something that we'll accept. And that, that was uh, very much part of the... Um, uh, uh, part of the theology of the Anglican Church, uh, where in their Articles of Religion, the 39 Articles of Religion, they speak uh, about the Bishop of Rome, uh, but they say he hath by Scripture no authority more than any other foreign bishop in the realm of England. So uh, that they would accept. So this is significant, uh, his, his use of uh, uh, this title. And um, those who um, are, say, schismatics, and those, uh, and, uh, those in the Protestant sects uh, uh, see a great significance uh, in this. Uh, Francis talking about the, uh, him uh, being, the, um, being the Bishop of Rome, the, the, the ortho, different so-called Orthodox patriarchs. So, uh, this and it is it has the uh, desired effect uh, on these people because that's what they're that's the title they're willing to give him nothing beyond that. And so moving here to the next story in the ecumenism stack of stuff, we have a uh, again a Saint Valentine's Day message here from the Jews who tell us that the foundation for dialogue is now theological for a, uh, a quote-unquote united patrimony. This is a Vatican Insider story, and uh, uh, you know, Francis met with the, the American Jewish Committee, and the key, the key quotes out of this story uh, are, quote, the spiritual heritage that, that unites Catholics and Jews is the theological foundation of a dialogue that has been growing stronger since the Second Vatican Council. Next year we will commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of the Second Vatican Council, Nostra Aetate, which today constitutes for the Church the sure point of reference for relations with our elder brothers. 
from this document are a reflection on the spiritual patrimony which unites us and which is the foundation of our dialogue, has developed with renewed vigor. The foundation is theological and not simply an expression of our desire for reciprocal respect and esteem. Therefore, it is important that our dialogue always be profoundly marked by the awareness of our relationship with God. Your Excellency? Well, God is Jesus Christ. I don't think the Jews have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, do they? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, this all sounds very pretty and nice, but the question is, do the Jews and will the Jews accept Jesus Christ as the true Messiah and Son of God? That's the only dialogue that is necessary. That's a question, and then the, the dialogue back is yes or no. What else is there to be said? You know, this this is all gobbledygook. Uh, and it also presupposes that Judaism has some value as a religion uh, apart from Christianity that that it that it can sanctify people that there's a relationship with God and all it cannot uh, and the uh, our lord himself was very explicit about it saint john the evangelist was very explicit about it that if you do not accept the the son you do not accept the father uh, that that it it, it is uh, it vitiates the entire thing that, that you you cannot reject the son and at the same time retain a relationship with the father it's in sacred scripture. So, you know, it's kind of, a, all of this is a meaningless statement, uh, but it is indicative of that same idea of ecumenism that non-Catholic religions have a certain value in the order of salvation. They don't. So uh, it really comes down to that. The other thing that uh, some commentators said is significant in this statement is his emphasis um, more than in, in prior statements like this on the idea that, well, there's a, a common theological, um, that we have uh, common theological grounds. Uh, the commentator said that uh, 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 before perhaps there was more emphasis in the so-called dialogue between the Vatican and the Jews on uh, the, the uh, on uh, practical issues and on kind of being nice to each other, but that Bergoglio is now putting the emphasis on the, uh, the uh, theology, and he says, you know, he speaks of the awareness of our relationship with God that both we and, and uh, both those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ and those who do not, uh, we mutually together have a relationship with God. And, of course, that's, that's abominable. It's, it implies that Christ is not God. Yeah. How do you have a relationship with God if you reject the true God? And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, does that make any sense to anybody? Of course not. And But it's, uh, again, uh, dogma doesn't count. Dogma is uh, it doesn't really re, uh, is not indicative or, or uh, does not represent the truth. It is merely uh, a tool of, of how we feel about God, and you know the Jews feel differently about God, and, and uh, so we can dialogue them on a, on a theological basis, as if to say that somehow or other the rejection of the Son of God can be theologically justified. I mean, that's the bottom line. Is that theologically justifiable to reject the Son of God? I think now is the time to uh, say that uh, Francis would probably call Bishop Sanborn a, uh, a creed-reciting parrot Christian. Yes, <laughs> 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 uh, stingy with that stingy creed, you know, that, yeah. that uh, you know... <laughs> 
comes to sociology and all of that. you're fixing crystallized stuff. ideas. Oh, <laughs> those, those, those Nicene crystallizations and and you know Constantinople and all. Oh, just awful. <laughs> Horrible. Well, let's let's go ahead. This was this was a story that just came out just a few days ago, and this this moves on here to bit of this humanistic ideas on the liturgy and and I know that certainly with with all of your pastoral experience over the years, real pastoral experience that is over the years, uh, that this this certainly had to just strike a chord here. So on the twelfth, there was a there was a National Catholic Reporter uh, story and of course you know Rati picked this up and several other places picked this story up, where Francis had something to say about those who should go to Mass. Okay. Now, he says this. The story, the story reads the following. Going to Mass and receiving the Eucharist should make a difference in the way Catholics live. They should be more accepting of others and more aware of their sinfulness. Now, quote, if we don't feel in need of God's mercy and we don't think we are sinners, it's better not to go to Mass, unquote, Pope Francis said Wednesday at his weekly general audience. Well, Your Excellency, I mean, where do you begin with that? <laughs> Uh, the theme and variations uh, of uh, uh, religion is a feeling, and uh, you know if we don't feel in need of God's mercy and don't think we're sinners, it's better not to go to mass. Well, you know, suppose you you make an examination of conscience and you say, well, I'm not aware of any mortal sins. I'm aware of venial sins. I mean, what do you mean by sinner? Uh, but in any case, you have to go to mass. I mean, well, no matter what you. Even if you're in the depths of sin or if you're a saint, no matter what your problems are, you have to go to Mass. That's the worship of God. And this reduces Mass to a type of um, something like a Protestant uh, service where you're stirred up and, and uh, where it's, it's all meant to, to excite faith rather than to actually participate in the objective worship of God. So if it doesn't excite your faith to convince you that you're a sinner... Well, then you shouldn't go, because then it's worthless. So it's, it's all the same. It goes back to the same thing, of uh, the modernist idea of faith as feeling. Yeah, you get, uh, too, uh, other points in the statement. He says, does the Eucharist we celebrate lead me to consider uh, all people there as brothers and sisters? Uh, does it increase my ability to rejoice when they do and weep with those who weep? Attendance at Mass should also lead to, quote, the grace of feeling forgiven and to be able to forgive others. So the idea of uh, worship uh, primarily is, 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 is the primary goal of the, the uh, Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the adoration of the Most Blessed Trinity, um, goes out the window here and is is replaced by feeling. Sure, the uh, Eucharist naturally has a medicinal effect uh, on us in, in uh, the spiritual life, and a lot of the post-communions uh, and other prayers of the Mass uh, speak of that. But uh, what we find here is, is the uh, reduction of it all to feelings. So the idea is if we don't uh, get this... Uh, uh, end up considering uh, all men as our brothers and sisters as a result of going to Mass as a failure. Mm -hmm. uh, then he, he makes another uh, 
point. He says, a celebration um, sh- uh, could be perfect from an aesthetic point of view. It can be beautiful, but if it does not lead us to an encounter with Jesus Christ, it risks not giving any nourishment to our hearts and lives. So, I mean, there are a whole load of problems in that statement. It's textbook modernism. Yeah. Well, it's um, textbook. Uh, that uh, an encounter with... There's another 60s word. I heard that so many times in the 60s, an encounter with God and that's an uh the the it's all uh the, that uh, very very fuzzy theology of of you know meeting God. I mean, how many people have mystical experiences at mass? Uh, <laughs> you go to mass and and you you do your your duty of worshiping God. Most people don't come away from Mass with a mystical experience and, and all worked up uh, emotionally. They don't. Uh, except, uh, you know, if, if, if that's the kind of liturgy you want, then, then you're into the Bible Belt Protestantism, oh. where, where they get yeah. you going and you start moving around and, and saying amen and all that. They, that's what it's leading to. That's what this, uh, it's, a, it's Protestant. That the purpose of liturgy is to excite faith. That's Protestant. So the yeah. purpose of all the sacraments is to excite faith, and that faith is what, uh, and faith alone is what saves you. And everything in religion is to excite that salvific faith, that which is a sort of confidence and good feeling about God. It's all Protestant. You're actually, yes, you also the, say this is this is this is sort of a a a hat tip and sort of a you know week of a, a sort of like a a wink of the eye towards modern man, because he says, if you don't think you're a sinner, well, most people don't think they're sinners. Most people would describe themselves as, well, I'm a good person. So, I mean, this, this sort of opens Pandora's box, doesn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. No, I don't <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's another way of looking at it. Um, the uh, example I would give is, is uh, if a kid doesn't feel like going to Mass, he says to his parents, that, well, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm a sinner, and so I don't have to go to Mass because the Pope says I don't have to go to Mass unless I feel I'm a sinner. You know? I mean, well, what kind of a crazy idea is that? Well, I can say this. After the people have been through one of my sermons, believe me, they all feel like sinners. So I, I think... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think we're okay with for Mr. P on that one. We're 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 we're, we're good on that one. <laughs> so. Well, oh my. The, the last story that we have here in our stack, we have a a um, we have a story from Novus Ordo Watch, and the the title of this is is really Francis on spiritual harassment and imposing morality, and it's a flip flop because he. The story reveals that Francis says the church can only offer opinions, which is interesting. They can only offer opinions. Priests cannot impose morality on people. That would constitute spiritual harassment. Well, what do you, I mean, what in the world has Bergoglio been doing to, to traditionalists here over the past year? I mean, wouldn't that classify as spiritual harassment? I mean, look at these, none of the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Absolutely. I wonder if you could sue them. Oh, in America, in America, you can sue them for anything. Uh, uh, no, it is. It's been a constant attack. If you did a list of all the attacks and insults that he has made against traditionalists, uh, it's very impressive. Uh, he, he's like uh, insult mouth. 
uh, he can't stop himself. Uh, and, and yes, it is a spiritual harassment. And the uh, interesting thing, uh, too, about this is, is uh, the list of flip-flops is from Novus Ordo Watch. Uh, and um, the researchers there did an excellent job of, of uh, you know, hunting these things down. And uh, I think that the the whole list of flip-flops and contradictions you can come up with uh, in the things that Francis has said lead back to, you know, one of the classic characteristics of, uh, of modernism is this incoherence because they don't operate really from, from principles. So you do get this, this uh, back and forth. Yeah, it seems, it just seems rather hypocritical here that we're talking, or that he's talking about not, you know, not harassing anyone spiritually. And I mean, you know, the, the stories that we've talked about tonight have been nothing but harassment. Anyway, well, I think that's going to close it up here for this, this, this huge, this huge stack of news that we've had over the last 30 days. I want to give both of you uh, a chance to close up here with, with with your closing thoughts and uh, your excellency, I don't know if you want to announce a website uh, opening up here soon, or if not, we can we can hold yes, that over. Yes, we're but, we're on the verge of. Uh, it was actually supposed to go up today. Uh, we we have been this this is something that has been in preparation for years. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> new seminary website, and we're just gathering all of the things. I spent the whole day. Uh, making PDFs of my former newsletters and my old newsletters and uh, getting all my sermons on. Uh, you can download you know, many, many sermons, hundreds of my sermons and other sermons on it, uh, articles. Uh, it, so, uh, and then I'll have a blog. I was writing my first blog today, or, uh, and uh, uh, it's entitled A Failed Stratagem. And uh, it's concerning the uh, what I was told from, from the very point of the day that I decided to go to a cone back in 1971. Oh, you should work within the church. You 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 shouldn't step out, and and you should work to change things from within. And I just give a little meditation on where we are from working from within. Look at the devastation of Vatican II and where the workers from within are, what they have achieved. They have achieved these isolated uh, communities that now live in fear of what Bergoglio is going to do to them. They have not made a single dent against modernism in the church. Modernism is triumphant. It has devastated the whole vineyard. Working from within has not worked. It's a failed stratagem. So I, I talk about that. Uh, and uh, that, uh, whereas, in contrast, the the stratagem of doing what we do, and by that I don't mean stepping out of the church at all, but doing what we do has preserved it has preserved a valid episcopacy and a valid priesthood. It has preserved Catholic doctrine. It has preserved a a true and integral traditional mass. Uh, it has. Uh, preserved uh, true religious life, all, all sorts of uh, goods that the church enjoyed in the past, we have preserved. And that cannot be said for those who have worked from within. All they have is a high church where they have you know, tassels and galloons, but they are, just like the English high church that is Protestant down to the bone, 
they have to accept Vatican II and, and all of the, the new theology in order, they have to pay that, they have to burn that incense at the altar of modernism in order to get their fringes, their tassels and their galoons and their Latin and all of the other stuff that they're very much attached to. Uh, and that is where working within, so to speak, has gotten us after 50 years. And so I speak about that in the blog. So uh, that's a, well, I practically told you the whole thing, so now you don't have to read it. <laughs> but uh, that, that's, that's the, that's, well, I, I'm telling you that to sort of attract you to the website. So <laughs> the week, I'll do a blog once a week. And I'm tweeting every day now for the past oh. nine days. Every morning there's a tweet. So if anybody wants to, uh, mine is uh, Bishop Sanborn, uh, capital D, capital S, with one word. So uh, that's one word. And uh, not that you should associate those letters with me. But <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> the, I uh, might be tempted to uh, make a little hay with what I just said. But, uh, the, uh, <laughs> or perhaps spread a little. So. <laughs> Uh, Your Excellency, can you give us the uh, the website address for the seminary whenever it goes live? Yes, it, it's rather long, but it's easy to remember. Most Holy Trinity Seminary dot org. Oh, very simple. Very simple. So it's easy, well, Father, but make sure you get all the letters right. You might end up <laughs> who knows what if you get the letter wrong. Even <laughs> <laughs> Heiner to... said uh, he'll try to link it to something that's a little bit more palatable. Uh, Father, uh, you have some information about uh, SGG resources and some of the things you have on sale there as well, correct? Oh, yes. We have um, uh, sggresources.org. Uh, we have, um, of course, my uh, book on the new mass, Work of Human Hands, a number of, um, uh, number of, of pamphlets are available, and we have, um, uh, we have um, uh, DVDs of uh, different interviews that we've done, but uh, the, the most um, recent addition to the website is uh, actually 70 hours of, of um, programs from Restoration Radio. And uh, this is a very convenient way to listen to them. And uh, you get uh, uh, 70 hours of our programs on Restoration Radio and a whole load of different topics on uh, uh, doctrinal topics, controversial topics, uh, the situation of the Vatican II Church, a lot as well on devotional topics on the liturgical year, on uh, questions having to do with the sacred liturgy. So it's a it's, uh, uh, good value, and you can find that on sggresources.org. And in closing, one thing that I would say, too, to our listeners is make sure that uh, you take the opportunity to, to thank our clergy for their time. Um, you know, Bishop Stanborn and, and Father Chicada put a lot of time into preparing for these shows. Um, one more plug for the seminary. You can, you can sign up for Bishop Sanborn's uh, seminary newsletter for a donation of $75 or more per year. They are excellent, excellent, excellent. And I think if His Excellency is putting them up, on uh, the website, you'll get to see just how good that they are, and hopefully that will uh, spur you on to make a donation, uh, large or small. You could always add a couple of zeros after that $75 check, and I'm sure His Excellency would smile big for that. So uh, that's always, uh, you know, that's always needed. And uh, Your Excellency Father, thank you so very much for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure to, to spend thank the you. last two hours with you both. Thank you, and good night. Good night. 
And we at the Restoration Radio Network thank you for tuning in here this evening on uh, Francis Watch. We, uh, we also want to thank our, our show sponsor, Novus Ordo Watch. We have, uh, we have several shows coming up here. We have The Root of the Rot next Friday with Bishop Dolan and Stephen Heiner, and they're going to continue on in that series, which is kind of a historical series, which is going to take us back all the way to the very beginning of really how this all began, how we, how we got to where we are today. It's a very fascinating show. We have trad reviews coming up on Sunday, Sunday at 4 o'clock with Stephen, and this month's, uh, this month's topic has uh, been her monopoly and introduction to the devout life. We at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your Catholic faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. If you have any questions or comments, or if you want to reproduce our work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at mail at truerestoration.org. You can also leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at truerestoration, and I just want to take a quick second to thank all of our listeners. We've received many comments and emails over the last three or four weeks since the last Francis Watch show. It's been very heartening to receive your comments. They've been very kind. They've been very positive. We've passed a lot on to the clergy. So please keep us all in your prayers. And for the restoration, I'm Justin Soder. May God bless you.